Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of LA Unmastered. As always, it's me, your girl, LA, hosting the show that you keep listening to for some reason. And I graciously thank you all for doing so. First and foremost, it's fucking autumn. I'm sitting here in my oversized flannel and a beanie loving life. This is my season. This is my time. The air is crisp and you can smell the change. I need that right now. I shine from late September to end of November and I'm usually already planning my birthday celebration by now. My birthday actually falls on Thanksgiving this year and I love when that happens. You get to get food drunk, then you get drunk drunk and because you're with your family, you can just go take a nap. And a birthday nap on Thanksgiving? Like, y'all really haven't lived because it is a good life. But you see the way that this pandemic is set up this year? That ain't happening. And I already told Leanne and Sade, and now I'm going to tell y'all, if any of you think about throwing me a Zoom birthday party or doing a birthday parade, I will 100% guarantee you, you will be disappointed. And that's just me keeping it real. (laughs) And breaking news, on Monday, September 21st, 2020, Mariah Carey had this to say in a tweet. Thanksgiving is canceled. And it was capitalized, so you know it's true. Thus confirming that November 26th is not a day we are acknowledging this year. So there's that. This week, I want to speak on the history and symbiotic relationship of music and revolutions. Be it in the 1960s or today, in America or abroad, anthems are born during these times of strife. And some numbskulls want musicians to just shut up, get in the booth, and la-di-da-di-da away. But most of us want them in unison with the people and the movement. Life is the number one influence of art. But have you ever thought about this? Can the music have an effect on life? Today, the only benefit of history repeating itself is that the artists have again come to the front lines, literally, or by way of the studio. Their music has the ability to heal, and they can reach ears that many politicians cannot. Every country in the world is fighting their own battles. But in America, specifically, We're just remaking the same movie over and over again, just updated and with new players. Hollywood is literally taking its direction from the mess that is this country. Like, if you really think about it, it's ridiculous. But here we are again, in another time of depression and war. And these musicians, honestly, to me, feel like the drummer boys on the battlefield. They're regulating our marches. And they're keeping us on track. So let's get into it.
Okay, so I know I said in the first episode that I would do my best to keep the unplugged calendar updated. Well, I'm trying. But if you follow me on Instagram at Ellie Unmastered, I'm always sharing virtual events I'm interested in. So I did share the flyer from Major Lazer's Carnival on Instagram, but I really should have red alerted this shit. If it makes you feel any better, I missed it live myself. Luckily, the whole 15 hour set is available on Twitch. I have updated the calendar. So if you go to Sunday, September 13th, you'll be able to find the link so that you can have a bashment in your house as well. Now, I definitely did not watch the entire 15 hours set because that's ridiculous. I just did it like a festival. I saw the sets I could fit into my old lady sleep schedule. So the carnival opened with South African DJ, DJ Rybell, who was the DJ I mentioned that had the track with Moonchild and Diplo called Whole Night. He was the perfect DJ to start it up. He started with the mix of what sounded like Midnight Staring with the score from the movie Bad Boys. I don't know if that makes sense, but it just got really good. His beats were deep and heavy and dripped with the African diaspora. The next set I watched was DJ Scuff. Yo, this was reggaeton to the upteenth degree. He is it, yo. When I'm out of here, catch me at one of his sets hitting the dance floor with my merengue wine combo. William Jimenez hails from the Dominican Republic. He was inspired by Onyx, Snoop, and Dre, and underground artists like ASAP Rock. Combining that with the music of his homeland, he makes music that everyone can catch a wave to. He is a must. Right after him was Foreigner, the DJ I mentioned in episode three, who performed for Clubhouse Global's Moonshine event. He did the damn thing yet again. And I was happy to see him getting his ups. He deserves. I caught a little Diplo set, not hating or anything, but I needed something a little bit more. While she was the ultimate hype man, though, especially when he busted out a guitar out of nowhere. So I skipped and the next set was Ape Drums, their newest member. I was like, all right. Let me see what this man does. Bruh. Bruh. When I tell you this turned into a solo dance party until the wee hours of the night in my room, I was dead ass sober too. Tired, had my glasses on, ready for bed, but nah. Ape had me losing my mind. I was acting like I was in front of the DJ booth, giving him my best solo wine, look at him dead in the eye thing I do. You know what I'm talking about, ladies. Like, you just like, hey. <laughs> so, like I said, he's a dance hall DJ from Texas. And yeah, he looks good. But I didn't know what to expect. He started his set with all my all-time favorite rhythm, the Cooley rhythm. Now, I will absolutely be doing a dancehall episode in the future, but just to explain, a dancehall rhythm, or rhythm, is a beat that several artists use and make their own tracks. I love that. Now, the coolie rhythm is prime time. This was junior, senior year of high school. This rhythm gave us Pull Up by Mr. Vegas. So I'm a circle the blocky and me drop toppy, the rhythm gonna hop me off it. Pull up, the vibe is right. And the ladies getting wild on the dance floor. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and this is the first song he played too. So I was loving it. The rhythm also gave us probably my favorite dance hall record of that time. Jukyal by Elephant Man. But specifically the remix with Twista, Youngbloods, Kip Rich, and let us not forget, Little John. Yeah. 
So it's like, shake that booty, turn it around, back that ass up. Wine go down, up in a club and the music, sweet off your juke, gal, juke, gal, juke, gal, juke, gal. Okay. Let me tell you, I would knock people out to get to the dance floor for the song. You think I'm joking? Like I was throwing bows just to get to the dance floor. I just love that song so much. And the one that you all may know that's the Coolie Rhythm is Nina Sky. Ooh, move your body, girl. Make the fellas go. The way you ride it, girl. Makes the fellas go all up in the club looking fine. Ooh. Gosh, those were the times, right? Yo, the late 2000s, people, or the early 2000s, rather. Damn, I'm old. People really slept on that time period, but it was so good. Okay, back to A-Drums. FYI to all my Yardies, when he was playing Tanya Stevens, I was like, oh, okay, you're the truth. You are it. You're legit. He was going in. His mixes had me like, yes. He started going into reggaeton. His beats are tough. I was just like, you have to move your hips when you listen to him. But when he did a dance hall mix of Benny Benassi's Satisfaction... I fell in love. That was it for me. And now I'm sprung. So there's that. Only bummers of the night. I couldn't watch Moonchild or a Luna set because the music was blocked for copyright reasons. Trey annoying. I do want to mention Rude Boys. These two look so young, but they are better than most DJs I've heard. They had a super simple setup, but they were every damn thing. They hail from Durban, South Africa, and they are known for they're known as the originators of GCOM, which is the Afrobeat electronic music we all know and love today. So I definitely want to big them up. Please follow them. Rude Boys at Rude Boys S.A. And that's Boys B-O-Y-Z. I must say. The best thing about September has been all the new music we've been gifted with. It's the only thing that has been keeping my flow of endorphins elevated. So after teasing us with voice memo recordings and letting us know that there was a love galore mix without Travis Scott that we clearly all wanted, SZA finally dropped new music. The weekend starting on the 3rd, I was cutting myself off of the internet and the world, really. It was just all too much. And seriously, we have to find time to reconnect with ourselves because we can lose who we are in that cesspool. I was also overloaded with the posts that were about sadness and pain and everything that we had just been going through from the pandemic to the revolution, immediately followed by people in bikinis. It was just, no, it was just making me feel like I was an actual purgatory. So that Friday night, the last post I saw was SZA in a field with the caption, Midnight, Eastern Standards Time. It was like 11 p.m. when I saw it. I was already in bed, but I waited up like a kid on Christmas. Hit Different features Ty Dolla Sign. It is sexy, and I missed her voice so much. All I know is that I want more music. This feels like an appetizer, and girl, I'm hungry. The next day on the 4th, but I didn't hear it until like a week later, Robert Glasper released a track called Better Than I Imagined featuring her and the incredible Michelle Indicello. It was alleged Michelle was supposed to have new music coming out, but I haven't heard anything yet, but I'll keep y'all posted. This song, though, the talent on this track, 
I must say, I appreciate Robert Glasper so much more now that I'm in my 30s. At 27, I respected him as an artist and his amazing talent, but now I get it. Her's voice on this one is something else. And the lyrics? Thought it be worse because it hurts me, but still I can't see myself with no one else because it was better than I imagined. Damn. And Michelle dropped some poetry at the end and it was just like, yes, girl, talk, let them know. It was almost like what Alicia was trying to do at the end of Don't Know My Name. Okay, why is that making a comeback, by the way? And I'm legit crying at all those memes that are like, imagine being lactose intolerant and Alicia tries to poison you with milk because she's got a crush on you. Like, I felt that, especially now that I'm lactose intolerant, like that's messed up girl but randomly on the 11th Katronata posted a selfie and some screenshots talking about oh hey y'all you've been wanting new music oh it's been here oh y'all don't follow me on SoundCloud well you should have okay that's not a direct quote but I immediately started following him on SoundCloud because he ain't gonna catch me again that's for damn sure so he's got a track out with Aluna featuring Rima called The Recipe, and he makes Dua Lipa's Don't Start Now, classic K-beats, calming and vibey. Um, and if y'all are looking to get into a vibe, you have to hear Jay Diggs' WAP Funk Mix. I saw it on Twitter and then immediately bought it on Bandcamp. And as of September 16th, it's available everywhere to stream. It's just too damn good. Certified freak. Seven days a week, the wettest pussy got me. My pullout game week, ooh yeah 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 yeah. Think about the white house pussy, pussy. Bring a bucket and a mucket. Do 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 do. I can't. Just please let's do it. It's so good. September 18th was a golden day for music. Speaking of Alicia Keys, she dropped her newest album, Alicia, on that day. Now, I used to love Alicia growing up. Songs in A Minor was my shit. And let me say this, As I Am is one of the greatest albums ever. She did that. But after that, I didn't really listen to her much. When I saw she had a new album out, I was like, let's just see what's up. I didn't make my way through the whole thing as of yet, but three hour drive with Sampha and me times seven with Tiara Wack are so damn good. Also on this day by number one, Anderson Pock released you and that's why with four U's with Busta Rhymes. This combo is a hell yes for me. It's the jazz hip hop Anderson vibe mixed with a gritty Busta beat. So good. And finally, Janelle Monet released Turntables this month, which is from the Amazon documentary All In, The Fight for Democracy. The doc examines voter suppression in the U.S., which has been a problem since the beginning of this country. And the history of voter suppression encompasses activism, the civil rights movement, and poverty. As we all know, those are all interconnected. The doc stars Stacey Abrams, who was robbed of the gubernatorial seat in Georgia in 2018. But this incredible woman is not only a lawyer and politician, but she has been a major activist in regards to voter rights. Turntables isn't a song about strife, but the inevitable change. I will go into this track more later during top five. Speaking of Janelle, I've got to hype up Antebellum. Now, I was wary of this movie since I saw the trailer earlier this year. 
However, since it was technically classified as a horror movie and created by the producers of Get Out and Us, I knew it would be more than just a period piece about slavery. Now, any movie about slavery is a horror movie to me. Actually, they're the only horror movies I refuse to watch. The last movie about slavery I watched, well, with the exception of Django, because that was just everything that we needed as a society. But the last one was actually Amistad, which came out in 1997. I only watched it one time and that was enough for me. That movie was extremely intense and breaks you down, especially as a black person in this country. Like I said last episode, it's so hard to wrap your head around the fact that this actually happened. Like people really thought we weren't human. Like how? That's like how you know racists are dumb as fuck. Like really? Uh, I just I don't get it. Anyway, Amistad may be historical fiction, but Sinke, played by one of the finest men to ever live, Jimon Honsu. FYI, though, he was homeless before landing this role, but his character is a representation of the African people and what actually happened. Now, if you're a white person and you have never watched this movie, you should. It's hard to watch for anybody and it's triggering as fuck, but it's real. As a young black girl learning about slavery in school, seeing someone who looks like you in chains, beaten, whipped, and packed into slave ships like we were all hauled from the deadliest catch, it causes you so much pain. And for people to be like, it was so long ago, get over it. What? Generational trauma is so real. As black people, we have to actively acknowledge our past and heal. For white people, I think it's important to watch Amistad because it's not a photo in a textbook or a passage you're reading about. It is the most intense movie I have ever seen. Aside from Blunt, Blood Diamond, also starring Jimon. Only watched that one once too. That was a lot. But Amistad depicts the kidnapping, murder, torture, and triumph of the African people in a way that is not very super Hollywood. Legit, after the 90s, I stopped watching films like this. Glory, A Time to Kill, A Long Walk Home, they were enough for me. I've never seen The Help, 12 Years a Slave, or Harriet. Not doing it. I'm actively learning about our history, and I do not need movies like that to teach me anything. And often these movies include white saviors who help us overcome and succeed. Now, white allies exist, and I'm grateful for the solidarity. But our struggles, we overcame and are continuously overcoming our own strife. No one does that for us. We are in in the forefront of our own fight. This is why I don't think we need any more movies about slavery. It's trauma porn. I also think it's brainwashing, especially when these movies win awards. See Octavia Spencer and all her amazingness and talent winning for her role in The Help. It's like, yay, you played a maid. Amazing. You win. Like not saying that that's like she was she's amazing she's a great actress but what i'm saying is like they're giving you your flowers for playing a maid like in a role where you belong and i hate that shit we need movies that uplift us and show us we are humans not property so now you're probably like bitch why should we watch antebellum then all right fair Well, this is not your typical slavery period piece. This is a horror movie within a horror movie that becomes a film about power. 
First off, Janelle's performance is riveting. She has easily become one of my favorite actresses of this decade. If you haven't yet, watch Homecoming season two. Her character is not a perfect person, but that is the point. But in Antebellum, you watch her character transform into a symbol. And if you need another reason to watch, to my people out there who are into men, Tongai Teresa, who plays Eli. Oh my God. Like, I know I keep saying I'm in love, like with multiple people, but no, I'm in love for real this time. He's an incredible actor and he's just so fine. And let me give it up to Jenna Malone too real quick because she played that part and that's all I'll say. So I don't want to give anything away about this movie. It's important to watch it and saying anything could really ruin the experience. It's available to rent on Amazon and video on demand. It is $20, but it was very much worth it. So if you got it, I recommend it. However, there are some takeaways I want to share without saying too much. There's a discussion about shedding our coping persona. As black people, especially as black women, we often limit ourselves and what we want to say, mainly in the professional space, because we do not want to be known as the angry black woman, hostile, unreasonable, not being a team player, among many other racist and misogynistic ideals. But when we hide who we are because we are apprehensive of the response, we do more damage to ourselves. It is unfair that we live in a society in which we are unable to express any emotion because of how we will be labeled. But fuck that. Be yourself. Disagree. Be honest. If anyone can't handle that or they're scared, that's on them. We should no longer be taking on the res- that responsibility or denying ourselves the right to be ourselves. Which leads to another theme. It's vital for us to remember that we are not seeking assimilation but liberation. We are not trying to fit into the role that this society has laid out for us to be the docile Negro. All humans should be free to have emotions. That includes black people, all women, everybody. Like, why does Brett Kavanaugh get to cry on the stand like a buster and no one tells him he's being too emotional for crying because he's a fucking rapist? Because society has different rules for cis white men. All we're looking for is equality. In that regard, racist white people in the United States are always yelling and carrying on about fuck BIPOC and all lives matter and honestly appear to be super angry. That anger is actually a mask to cover their fear. Fear of not being the master race, which is just insane to me. Like, really? Who cares if there are more people of color than white people? All that should matter is that there are good, they're more good and decent humans than there are bad. Which leads me to mention Kimberly Jones and that moving speech she gave back in June. She ends it by saying, And they're lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. And that's where the fear comes from with these racists. They think that if black people run this country, that we're going to do to them what they did to us. But that's not what it's about. Where would that get us? Nowhere. 
why can't we just live in a cohesive society where racists understand melanin and science and that capitalism is really what's fucking us all? Think about it. Back in the day, using New York as an example, there was an influx of immigrants from Ireland, Italy, and Poland, among other countries. And as much as the government shat on black people at that time, they were doing the same to these white European immigrants. For the most part, everyone was living and working together. A good example of that was Seneca Village, now known as Central Park, which was a predominantly black community. It was approximately two thirds black and one third Irish, actually. And guess what? We lived in perfect harmony, but it was destroyed by capitalism and now it costs millions of dollars to overlook a park that is covered in blood. So when did everything turn? Well, propaganda. The whole black people are stealing your jobs stemmed from that time. Labor unions have a very racist past. But it's wild because while they were distracting white immigrants with racist nonsense, the white supremacist capitalists were running the show, who were running the show, were dipping into their pockets while their back was turned. When you pit those in poverty against each other, you can do anything and never have a finger pointed at you. This is why I always say capitalism and racism go hand in hand. I believe I've said this before on the show, but this is why some non-black people of color and immigrants feel as if our struggle is not their struggle because the government makes it very clear, oh, we hate you, but we hate black people more. Again, that brings it back to people's unhealthy relationship with assimilation. It is important to note that some critics have made some judgments about this movie, but to me, I feel as if they were watching it from a surface standpoint. I need y'all to watch this movie like Get Out. Look for the little nuances. For example, remember when Chris was picking cotton out of the chair or when Rose was eating the Fruit Loops separate from the milk? Just like that, there are subtle messages in Antebellum and you really need to pay attention. Honestly, there are so many other themes I could discuss, but the final one I want to mention is being kind to yourself. This is something that is so hard to do for many of us. As black people though, we are constantly told we are less than, we are working twice as hard to get half as much, literally like according to statistics. And every day we are just trying to avoid racism and fight oppression. Sometimes we internalize that, hurt people hurt people. In this case, we hurt ourselves, the way we talk to ourselves thinking that we're not good enough. We beat ourselves down. My friends and I have the discussion about the imposter syndrome, thinking you are a fake or phony and don't belong where you are. That stems from a system that has historically belittled black people and women in general. There's this feeling that we have to prove ourselves, which is natural, but it's like an extra mile that others don't have to go, leading us to the conclusion that we are an imposter. This all relates to our confidence, our self-worth, and comfort in our own body or skin. I'm going to keep it real here. I've had a very hard time during quarantine. Although I know that there are so many other people in my shoes, I personally don't know them. I've been out of work for six months now. I live at home with my mom, which is an added stress due to COVID. 
I'm a germaphobe as it is, but now I have to be extra cautious so that I don't get my mom sick. And on top of that, I'm partnerless. The last one isn't as like isn't as relevant to me now because I've used these last few months to refocus my energy. I'm not a hop from one relationship to another type girl, but I get easily distracted from my goals by my male conquests. But the thought of having to get double swabbed every time I touch someone now is not something I'm interested in. And you know what I'm talking about. Swab in the nose, swab in the... Okay. And not focusing on men got me to finally design my website and work on this podcast. So it's not about being lonely or being with someone. It's just something else I don't have. Unfortunately, when you focus on what you don't have, you begin to blame yourself rather than be aware of the unfortunate, unpredictable and out of your control situation that led you here. With that said, it still fucking sucks. Yeah, I'm out of work because I was waitressing, but then I think about the fact that I've been searching for a marketing job for two years already. Then I think about the fact that I'm about to be 35 and I'm unemployed, still living in my mama's guest room. And listen, I accepted a long time ago that I would be a late 30s, 40-something-year-old bride because at the end of the day, I don't even care about the marriage. It's just the wedding. I would wear a pretty dress and party with my friends. We could do a commitment ceremony as long as everyone's looking at me in my bomb-ass gown. Like, (laughs) for real. And as much as I could go either way about having kids... The closer I get to aging out, by my standards, not society, I have a limit. I just want to make that clear. I get sad about the fact that I may never be someone's biological mother. When you have six months with nothing to distract you, you can put yourself in a mental prison. I struggle daily with my depression. Some days I'm really good and others I'm not. I keep going and fighting even though I'm on E. But I need to be nicer to myself. For me, I feel as if if I'm not looking for a job 24-7, I have failed. That the one day I take a break, I will lose the opportunity of a lifetime. Sometimes I just need to calm the fuck down, take a nap, and watch TV all day. Straight up. I'm now going to allow myself to do that. Anyone who knows me knows that unemployment for me is like not living. I'm the person that prefers to make money than go out. So these last few months haven't been about me just chilling. It's me constantly overthinking and trying to make shit happen. I'm experiencing a new type of depression for myself. Unlike in the past where I would literally just sit in the dark and waste away, I'm now converting it into an unhealthy energy, which makes me never stop. But that isn't helping me at all. I need to acknowledge the strides I have made, regardless of the unfair hand I was dealt. It's easy to tell yourself you're an unemployed loser who lives at home, and why would any man want that? It's a lot harder to do the work and learn to love yourself. This is why I emphasize therapy so much. Sometimes we need help. We are our own worst enemy and bully, in my case. I've always had a habit of putting myself down and I don't know why. I grew up in a house where I was loved and told I could be and do anything. But not everyone is able to have a strong sense of self without actively pursuing it. 
And I know everyone is truly struggling emotionally and mentally right now. I'm extremely empathetic to that. My situation is just so unique in my personal circle that I truly feel alone and lost. But I have to remember, I'm a bad bitch. (laughs) My time is coming. My future job, home, and life is out there waiting for me. And one day, my beauty, brains, and WAP are all going to make the person I deserve and that deserves me fall in love. Patience and timing is everything. I'm one of the most impatient people ever, and I'm all about instant gratification. Hello, Sag Life. I feel like if things don't happen as soon as I make a decision, they never will. But that's not the case. I'm on my own path. It's just filled with twists and turns, hills and slopes, but it's mine. I know before I get to the end, it'll all work out. But until then, I need to acknowledge that I'm doing everything in my power to better my life situation. That every job that didn't choose me is at a loss. I need to internally pet myself, if you will. It's a lot easier said than done. Trust me. But if you can try every day to at least say three positive things about yourself, it's a start. Affirmations lead to manifestations. So love yourself today and every day. You're not perfect. No one is. But your flaws make you you. And that you is doing fucking great. Let's talk about some uncharted artists, shall we? I've been in a hip hop and soul mood lately. Lyricism has been such a necessity for me right now. I love a good upbeat vibe, but I need words of meaning for this time being. (laughs) Yo, I told y'all I'm about to start rapping because the way my life is set up, I don't know. And although I'm single and not at all looking to mingle, doesn't mean that I don't appreciate songs about love. First up is a Long Island native, Ace 21, and that's Ace XXI. I was conversing with his manager on IG and he put me on to him. I was skeptical because shade, no shade. I know a lot of Long Island rappers out here and they're all right. But Ace, yo, he's fire. His flow is uncanny and incomparable. His lyrics are intelligent, but not pretentious. It is a perfect balance. And this is what hip hop needs right now. Ace released his freshman EP on July 19th, 2019. It showed his range over beats and his ability to be unapologetically himself. Definitely check out Money, which is just a dollar sign, and Stop on this record. Ace recently moved to California to expand his sound and his life. He wants more than just to be another rapper with the same flows. He's currently working on Love War, which is about compromises as it relates to our lives when love is with us and when it leaves us. So basically, how love can be a double-edged sword. I'm so here for that, especially in the context of rap. His aesthetic is completely original, but if you like J. Cole and Big Sean, you'll definitely dig Ace for sure. This year, he was featured on Saddest Doe by Black Monday, and Black Monday is spelled B-L-V as in Victor K-M-0-N-D-4-Y. Let me tell you, I saw this name and I felt 
97 years old. I am old. Like, what? What are these kids doing? Like, just spell it regular. It's so hard for me as it is. Anyway, but the tune is a must listen. And in July of this year, Ace dropped Promises. I listen to this track every damn day. It really has me making that stank face and being like, fuck everyone. Fuck those haters. I don't want no more problems. So he says... All these haters talk about me. I hear all these haters talk about me. I don't need no drama now. Why we always falling out? Ain't no more promises now. Ain't no more promises now. I love that he's still rhyming, but the way he flows over the song, it's like he's singing. It's so smooth. And while he is humble in this song for most of it and asking for shit just to be cool, he's also like, I'm built like a giant and you built like Danny DeVito. And that shit is hilarious. And I can't wait to use that in real life. But check out his music on Spotify and by visiting song.link slash AceXXI and follow him on social at AceXXI. Okay, so sometimes these IG ads be getting it right. Now, I'd be lying if I said it was the music that immediately caught my attention. It wasn't. Will Clay is fine as hell. But I heard the song and saw that it said he was based in Phoenix. And I was like, what? I never heard of him while I lived there. So when I went to Will Clay's page, something I noticed had me stunned. He's a three-time Olympic medalist. He's a track star. Well, a triple jump legend, to be exact. I know the area he grew up in in Phoenix, too. And it wasn't the safest or the best. But through it all, he achieved so much despite the hurdles. Pun intended put in front of him. After the 2016 Rio Olympics, Will decided to pursue another passion of his, music. And this man is beyond talented. We often wonder about athletes turned rappers, but in his case, he did that. Will's biggest music break came in 2017 when he was featured on YG's I Don't Give a Fuck. This line always cracks me the fuck up in this song. You a nigga with bitch ways. You remind me of my bitch name, Tiffany. <laughs> I don't know why. That's so funny to me. Anyway, and I love that Will's in this video with his medals around his neck. So good. His lyrical ability has definitely grown over the last three years. And on August 28th of 2020, he released his second album, Quoted. Truly such a great record. So the song I heard in the ad was On the Loose, featuring Reagan Capaci, Capaci? I don't want to disrespect you, girl, but C-A-P-A-C-I, so there's that. And I know he's a West Coast dude, but this is such a classic 90s hip-hop vibe. Gives me mob deep and a little bit of most. You know that sultry, but don't fuck with me shit. In the song, he says, I've never learned from sitting still. Opportunities comes to those who keep, who keep it real. Yes, all of that. You got to make moves, but you also got to be true to yourself. He goes on to say, when it comes to grinding, I'm devoted. Got it in my system like it's coded. Never lose your morals for the moment. This is so true and so important. We tend to want what we want at any cost, but that doesn't work. Once you sell your soul, you're done for. Find Will's music across all streaming services and follow him on social at Will Clay. And Clay is spelled C-L-A-Y-E. Next up, we got Giveon. 
Tori, thank you so much. You were the best for letting me know about this man. Hope I'm not still expired because of the virtual happy hour incident, but I clearly need your A&R skills. So let's be friends again. Giveon is modern day neo soul for me. This young ass 25 year old is killing the alt R&B scene. His voice is so deep and so are his lyrics. His voice gives me Sampha, but his style is like a male version of SZA, which yes, please. The beats, the melody, it's all a yes for me, actually. When he was 18, he attended Recording Academy's Grammy U program. He sang Frank Sinatra's Fly Me to the Moon and blew everyone away. And within seven years, this Long Beach, California native began to rise up. I love when hard work and talent pay off. You may recognize his voice from Drake's Chicago Freestyle released this year, but the song that Tori sent me was Like I Want You, which came out last year, but can be found on his March 2020 EP, Take Time. The first verse makes me feel like he's been reading my diary. Sometimes I wish you knew, but I disguise the truth. I say I'm happy, but I'm still stuck on us. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I am that person. I'm a Sagittarius. Hello. I can't be out here letting people know that I have feelings and shit. So I'm known to hide my feelings and vulnerability. And if I like someone, I just hope for the best and assume or expect them to just know because they should be psychic. You know what I'm saying? So I felt this song completely in my soul. The chorus is quintessential neo-soul vocals. Think Maxwell altering his voice and hitting that falsetto. Like I want you. I don't know, but yes, yes, yes. Give me all that, please. I also love Heartbreak Anniversary and Vanish off of this EP. Cannot wait to see more from him or hear more from him rather. Find his music on all streaming platforms and follow him on social at Giveon. And that's G as in George, I, V as in Victor, E, O, N. Okay. So Spotify was disrespecting me with my shuffle one day and pulled up this song called Insecure by someone named Brent Fias. I was like, bro, you're hella rude. But as I'm listening to it, I'm digging it and relating to the lyrics really hard. So as always, Spotify, you were right. But I knew this voice. I couldn't figure it out. And then it hit me. People say I drop too fast, move too fast, live too fast. Ain't no such thing as too fast. The track Too Fast by Sonder was used for Atlanta's second season promo. It's how I discovered it. Come to find out, Brent Fayez is a lead singer of Sonder. Sonder is a band, not a person. Who knew? Not me. And I love Brent's voice. It's beyond. So whenever Too Fast came on, I like can't help but listen to it more than once. Like I hit that repeat over and over again. And his solo shit does the exact same thing for me. Brent is another 25 year old young ass kid from Maryland but his lyrics will have you thinking that this man has lived a life. He gives me all the Raphael Sadiq vibes. It's that I'm a bad mother, shut your mouth, but I can sing. Other than that, he's extremely unique. He is what's missing in this time. Us R&B heads are fiending for more music and Brent gives us what we need. So the lyrics of Insecure hit me hard. 
We all have a past when it comes to love. And sometimes that past can affect our future. In this song, he keeps it 100 about why he he can't fully commit. I'd be all yours if my mind didn't wander. I've got scars from a life before you. Mm. But he needs this person to understand that he's not insecure, just hurt and trying to heal. Please don't think I'm insecure. I just feel safe by myself. Yo, hard same. Opening up to another person. Oh my God. It's a lot. Mm -mm. But the other song I just love is the title track off of February 2020's album, Fuck the World. First of all, I've never in my life heard this statement put in these terms. Wanna fuck the world? I'm a walking erection. Yo, that shit took me the fuck out. I was like, wait, what did he say? But it makes so much sense. Brent is so discontented with how the world is, aren't we all? So he's just like, I'm openly fucking this place. I'm tired of it. I'm going to live my life to the fullest and do what I want, which includes texting somebody's girlfriend because he's like, your nigga caught us texting. You said, baby, don't be mad. You know how Brent is. And I don't know why it made me laugh so much. It's just ridiculous. Like you can see some chick being like, Bae, you just know how Brent is. Like, I don't know, whatever. Brent is probably one of my favorite discoveries of this year. Also, y'all have to hear his latest release as of September 18th, Dead Man Walking. Powerful to say the least. I've been listening to him several times a day for the last month, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Visit his website at Brent Fayaz, and that's B-R-E-N-T-F-A-I-Y-A-Z dot com and follow him on all social media channels at Brent Fayaz. Okay, let me spell it again. F-A-I-Y-A-Z. To learn more about these artists and to listen to their music, please visit LAonmaster.com slash Uncharted. And if you're listening to any music you think I should be vibing to, please send me an email, la at launmaster.com, or call me 646-389-9079. In the time of a pandemic, designers really stepped up and showed out. So this week, I want to highlight Black designers making masks. Because they really made you want to rock a mask. (laughs) I don't get why everyone hates masks so much. For me, it's just an added layer of drip. I have one in almost every color scheme. Y'all anti-masker creepos are really missing out. The first mask I purchased were from Basita of Nigeria. This is a black female-owned company based in Atlanta. However, since the company began, founder Sophia O has employed local tailors in Benin City, Nigeria. It was important for her to be true to her Nigerian roots. As of last year, Basita now owns its own factory in Nigeria, and they're in the process of becoming fully solar powered. These cloth masks are not only high quality and extremely comfortable, but there are so many beautiful patterns to choose from. I personally purchased the Camellia and Trailblazer prints. Masks range from $14.99 to $16.99. Definitely check them out by visiting shopbasita.com, and that's shop, B as in boy, E, S, I, D as in Daniel, A. Also follow them on social at Shop Basita. My new favorite thing is the head wrap mask combo. It is just so fresh. 
I purchased two sets from Tufafi, which is also a Nigerian-based clothing company. I ordered the yellow and orange set for my mom and the blue and red one for myself. These sets are about $40. Visit their shop at Tufafi.com, which is T as in Tom, U, F as in Frank, A, F as in Frank, again, I, I, dot com, and on social at Tufafi. The next set I ordered was from Candice Court. Candace is a self-employed Jersey girl. Hey, hey, East Coast, what up? <laughs> but her story is just so moving. On August 17th of 2019, Candace left her corporate job to become a fashion designer. She decided that she was going to do whatever it takes to follow her dreams. Her message to everyone is that you are enough and to keep on pushing. Supporting her is easy because she's beyond talented, but also because she gives me so much hope. I was looking for this blue and yellow set she had, but it was sold out. I emailed her and she got back to me right away. We worked it out and I was able to get the set that I wanted. These sets are about $45. Please support her by visiting CandiceCourt.com and that's Candice, C-A-N-D-A-C-E-C-O-R-T.com. Court is her last name, but no you, just if that helps. And you can follow her on social at Candace Court Designs. Just to know, both companies sell their masks separately. By far, the best purchase experience was with Miss Kitty Coventry, a.k.a. Chantal. Here's why. I randomly found her on Twitter thanks to Jasmine, who runs Netflix's uh, Strong Black Lead account. She was looking for masks and Chantal responded and Jasmine retweeted her. I hit up Chantal via DM and the process was super easy through PayPal. First of all, the mask is turquoise and leopard, so fire. And she has beautiful prints available, but that was my favorite by far. When the mask arrived, there was a letter inside. Chantal informed me that for every mask she sells, she makes one for a senior member of her community. So I have a mask twin, y'all. Her name is Audrey. She is 94 years young. She likes to take walks and pet all the cats in the neighborhood, which goals as fuck, Audrey. Love it. In addition, for only $12, this mask was extremely high quality and a perfect fit. Please reach out to her via Twitter at Miss Kitty Coventry. And that's M-S-K-I-T-T-Y. C-O-V-E-N-T-R-Y. And then on Instagram at Miss Kitty Coventry, but the Miss here is M-I-S-S. Okay, this is just a little bonus because I love my mask from The Read so much. The Read is the first podcast I ever listened to. Shout out to my homie Pete in Australia for putting me on, which if y'all listen to The Read, I need you to understand that this is a blonde kid from Orange County, California. And I just love that he listens to it and has been gaining insight and perspective over the last six years. I miss you, Petey. But anyway, the mask I got features my most infamous sentiment. I am not the one. And it's infamous because if I say that to you, back the fuck up. But it's dope because it's an it's I with a not equal sign and then the one. It's currently $20 now, but it was on sale when I bought it. They also have one with Kid Fury and Crystal on it. And then one that says break up with him, which I might get next. Visit their shop at thereed.bigcartel.com 
and on social at this is the read check out their podcast too it's really good and you can find it on all platforms if you have a black owned business that you would like me to feature on the show please visit launmaster.com slash blm and fill out the form or hit me up via email la at lanmaster.com or call me at 646-389-9079. And I promote these businesses for free 99 so it doesn't cost anything. I want to drop the William Faulkner quote that was used at the beginning of Antebellum. The past is never dead. It's not even past. And 2020 is the proof of that. Shit, since the beginning of time, we've been proving that. But specifically this year, here we are again in the middle of a civil rights movement fighting for equality and justice for all. It feels like we never left this space. The only positive constant is the music. And what's a revolution without the soundtracks of the people? We are often told that if we understand our past, we are less likely to repeat it. Well, we got the knowledge and we still here. But in regards to revolutionary tunes, I wanted to dive into the movement of the 60s. How do we go from Marvin's What's Going On to Toby's I Need You To? When I began researching the history of the civil rights movement and music, I soon realized that it was not the beginning. So before we get into the music of the 60s, we need to go all the way back to the 17 and 1800s and discuss the importance of the Negro spiritual. Spirituals are one of the oldest forms of folk music. Next episode, I will actually be diving into one of my favorite genres, which is folk. So for the purposes of this episode, we're just going to focus on the meaning behind the spiritual and not necessarily the history of folk music. But just to generalize for a second, folk songs tell a story and are passed down from generation to generation. Spirituals have a religious connotation to them. Christianity, as we all know, was spread throughout Africa, But in America, African slaves adopted this form of religion, not only because they were under the control of their slave owners, but also for survival and hope. The return of Jesus Christ to save was an idea that was held onto for obvious reasons. Typically, spirituals had a slow melody, but were filled with intensity and sorrow. Think of Nobody knows the trouble I have seen, trouble I have seen. Oh, okay, you get it. However, these songs were also used to uplift and share coded messages. For example, Go Down to Moses was used by Harriet Tubman to identify herself to slaves who wanted to flee with her up north. In his book, My Bondage and My Freedom, Frederick Douglass discusses the song, O Cannon, Sweet Cannon. The song says, O the land I am bound for, sweet cannons, happy land. What seems like a song about reaching heaven was in fact a song about heading for the land of freedom, which at the time was the North. Plantation owners and slave drivers allowed slaves to sing while they were working. Again, they love our culture and music, but they don't love us. Another constant theme which continues to repeat itself. But thank goodness these racist ass trolls were so fucking dumb, they never picked up on what was really going on. Now, two of the most popular spirituals are Swing Low, Sweet Chariot and Wade in the Water. 
Swing low was about slaves hiding in chariots or any mode of transportation, really, so they could escape to different stations of the Underground Railroad. Swing low means keep down, stay hidden. So, swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Home being the north, where our brothers and sisters were free. This bridge of the song goes, if you get there before I do, coming for to carry me home. Tell all my friends I'm coming too, coming for to carry me home. Again, there's another religious connotation, and I truly believe our ancestors had faith, but they were also exceptionally intelligent. A song mentioning angels and Jordan, the river in which John the Baptist baptized Jesus, isn't going to set off any alarms. Wait in the water is what our people literally had to do while fleeing slavery. In order to hide their scent from the dogs that these catchers would use, Harriet and other others would sing this song as a signal to get off the trails and travel or wade through the water. The lyrics, wade in the water, wade in the water, children, wade in the water. God's gonna trouble the water. So children here, I believe, mean children of God and the fact that this is something new they have never experienced. Like a child, they're discovering something for the first time, a path to freedom. As far as God troubling the water, I believe it's actually a reverse meeting. God is gonna stir up the water and cover us. Another line is, must be the children led by Moses. Moses refers to Harriet, Frederick, Nat Turner, and other conductors, if you will, of the Underground Railroad. Now, spirituals are the blueprint for gospel music, but also tunes of the revolution. In the 60s, Black people were no longer in chains, but with Jim Crow in place, we still weren't free. Where our songs used to hide messages, we became a very vocal people. Silence was no longer an option, and our music made that very clear. The civil rights movement began in the late 1940s and ended in the late 1960s. Well, actually, TBD. There were so many strides made before the 60s even began. In 1948, President Truman desegregated the armed forces. In 1954, Brown v. Board of Education ruled that all schools must be desegregated nationwide. But as I let y'all know last episode, that didn't go quite as smoothly as one would hope. In March 1955, nine months before Rosa, Claudette Cloven, a 15-year-old black girl, refused to give up her seat to a white passenger in Montgomery, Alabama. I want to mention her story because I think it's really important that she's never spoken about. Drunk History did an amazing episode on her. I highly recommend that one. But also look up her story and find out why it was that Rosa Parks' protest was the one to begin the year-long Montgomery bus boycott. But also in the 1950s, there was a lot of pain. In August 1955, Emmett Till was brutally beaten and murdered by racist, inhuman, not good enough to be called animals, pieces of shits. Because Carolyn Bryant Dunham, calling that bitch's name out, trash ass, lying ass cunt, lied and said he flirted with her. Emmett was 14 years old. His mother, Mammy Elizabeth Till Mobley, wanted his casket open so that people could see. 
Jet Magazine included the photos in an issue and took his death international. In 1957, the Little Rock Nine were barred from entering into their newly integrated schools. The laws are there to protect us, they say. Right. In 1870, the 15th Amendment was passed technically giving black men only the right to vote. Remember, black women didn't get the right to vote until, spoiler alert, the Voting Voting Rights Act of 1965. But black people still weren't able to vote, even though it was the law. Black men had to pay a poll tax and at times take literacy tests. But if you keep If you keep us out of the schools and bar us from getting a solid education, how the hell do you expect us to pass literacy tests? And there it is. This system is so fucking wicked. Okay, so let's dive into the 60s. This decade is when the protests turned violent. I'll give you one guess why. Hint. The people whose fault it was beat black people in the streets, sent their dogs to attack black people and used fire hoses and, you know, murdered black people. In 1960, there was an increase in peaceful protests around the country. In February, the Greensboro sit-in took place at a Woolworths lunch counter, inspiring sit-ins around the country. In November, six-year-old Ruby Bridges was escorted by federal marshals because she was the first black student to integrate at her school in New Orleans. And homegirl wasn't even protesting. She was just trying to get to class. Like, that's crazy. In 1961, the Freedom Rides began. Activists took bus trips to the South to protest segregated bus stops and use white-only bathrooms. This was when the violence began to rise. White counter-protesters, aka racist douchebags, became increasingly aggressive and hostile. In August of 1963, 250,000 people marched on Washington with Dr. Martin Luther King. This is also when he gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. And about two weeks later, Addie Mae Collins, who was 14, Carol Denise McNair, who was only 11, Carol Rosanon Robertson, 14, and Cynthia Dion Wesley, 14, were murdered by a bombing perpetrated by four Klansmen. They had their four suspects in 1965. However, one of them wasn't sentenced to life until 1977. One died in 1994. And the other two, you ask? Oh, they were convicted and sentenced to life in the year 2000. What seemed to be like progress was the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This prevented discrimination at work and established the EEOC, but... Did it, though? (laughs) In February 1965, Malcolm X was assassinated. A few weeks later, on March 7th, 1965, also known as Bloody Sunday, 600 people, including recently passed Representative John Lewis and Reverend C.T. Vivian, may they rest in peace, marched on Selma. The police began brutally attacking protesters and rioting against citizens of the United States of America. Wait, this reminds me of a time. Hmm. Is it now that I'm thinking of? 
Mm, must be. It took them 18 days and two more marches, but they finally made it to Montgomery, Alabama. In August of that same year, Linda B. Johnson passed the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And as we know, that magically ended voter suppression. Yay! It did not. That was sarcasm. On April 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Then on the 11th of that year, Linda B. Johnson passes the Civil Rights Act of 1968, also known as the Fair Housing Act, which provides equal housing opportunities regardless of race, religion, and citizenship. And as of today, we can see that this law has really been working and has never failed. Cough, redlining, cough, cough. And in the last month of 1969, my personal idol, Fred Hampton, was murdered by the FBI as he slept in bed next to his pregnant girlfriend. There is this misconception of the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers were established as a means to protect our own because the cops were murdering us, the Klan was still hunting us, and the government didn't give a shit enough to help us. Fred believed in unity. He believed in uniting the Black and Latinx communities so that we could stand in solidarity. He was all about coming together and living in harmony. How could you hate and murder a pure soul like him? He was only 21 years old. So, as we can see, this was a period of time for Black people where we were struggling for our equality and to truly be free. Our leaders were being stolen from us as if we would become a chicken without a head without them. But just like during slavery, music became our joy, lifeline, therapy, and war cries. Artists began specifically making music for the elevation of the Black people. Just to interject quickly, because I promise you, at some point, I will do an entire episode dedicated to jazz. But it's important for me to mention artists like Billie Holiday, John Coltrane, and Duke Ellington. During the first three decades of the 20th century, through jazz, they were able to portray the pain and hurt of our people, but also the vibrancy. I mean, Billie's Strange Fruit is still being referenced until this day. And if you don't know the meaning of that song, I recommend you looking it up because it is such a beautiful song. But when you understand it, you just break down and cry. The imagery and the reference, it is really a tough one. Okay, so during the time of the 60s in particular, many of these artists were inspired by jazz. Take Gil Scott Heron. He's an American jazz poet and musician. He would recite poetry or sing over these intense jazz riffs. He's often considered the true godfather of rap which now that I think of it, makes so much sense. His most famous track and the inspiration for the title of this episode is The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant. And women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on a search for tomorrow. Because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day, the revolution will not be televised. Basically, we need to get up off our asses because our freedom will not be handed to us. We will not be able to attain the equality and justice we so desperately deserve and seek. 
It will not be on TV while we sit on the couch. We have to go out and get it. Yup. Nina Simone is the queen of revolution music to me. She managed to fluently translate her pain and power as a black woman in America into notes that we all felt. As I previously discussed during episode one's top five, young, gifted, and black was a reminder that we must love and uplift ourselves. We are lucky we made it. We are lucky to be alive. We are miracles. As Tupac said, we are truly the rose that grew out of concrete. In Backlash Blues, she calls out the racist system which is rooted in America's DNA. Mr. Backlash, just who do you think I am? You raise my taxes, freeze my wages, and send my son to Vietnam. You give me second-class houses and second-class schools. Do you think that all colored folks are just second-class fools? Again, religion being a big part of African culture, and you must understand that the only days, if allowed, slaves are able to be off or Sundays for worship. So when it is your only moment of rest, you are invested in your faith because it is truly your only salvation. Sinner Man was about Judgment Day. The sentiment is that a sinner would have no choice but to come forth and confess their sins. Oh, sinner man, where are you going to run to? Okay, I told you before, I don't even want to disrespect Nina like that. But sinner man, where are you going to run to? Where are you going to run to all on that day? The rock is like, I'm not hiding you. The river is like, not here, fam. And when the sinner runs to Jesus, Jesus is like, not me, bruh. You made your bed. You better go see the devil with that shit. I interpret it as the racists and those preventing a society of equality will reap what they sow in the end. One way or another, they're going to get theirs. Fun fact, this song was sampled by Talib and Get By, which coincidentally is a song about the plight of black and brown people and how we manage to survive, aka Get By. And important to mention, Nina also covered Billy's Strange Fruit, and it is even more hauntingly beautiful than the original. You hear the suffering in her voice. And of course, she wrote Why the King of Love is Dead after Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. Then we have Sam Cooke, an Allen household staple. This man was an R&B legend. He always used his platform to express his views on the country. Chain Gang was inspired by actual men who were prisoners working on a chain gang. Sam and his brother saw them while traveling the country on tour in the 60s. It has been alleged that they gave them a carton of cigarettes too. Like, that's really cool. Now, growing up, this was my jam because this beat was fire. Ooh, ah, uh, ooh, ah. Uh. That's the sound of the men working on the chain gang. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. But the song is actually quite sad, especially when Sam sings as one of the imprisoned men talking about going home someday and seeing his woman. As we know, the 13th Amendment freed slaves, but still allowed for the imprisonment of people, which has severely and unfairly affected the black community. If you haven't yet, for some reason, watched the 13th documentary, it is a must-see on Netflix. Then we have Sam's classic joint, A Change Gon' Come, which I think is one of the best openings of any songs. 
not only because of how this story begins, but how the orchestra comes in and then his voice. I was born by the river in a little tent. Oh, and just like the river, I've been running ever since. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know. Change gon' come. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, I needed to do that for my mental health real quick. Forgive me. Okay, y'all need to understand. I don't think that I'm out here as the best singer in the world, but this shit is fucking therapeutic. So just let me live. So the line about running like a river is everything. It's so perfect. I just love how it's. That's like the coolest thing about folk and R&B. It's just like this story and they all piece together and all the words work together. It's just, it's awesome. But legit, we were born. Then we learn that we're black and that our survival rate is lower than others because we're black. And we always have to be extra attentive and extra careful. This is also one of the most hopeful songs I've ever heard in my life. I believe him when he says a change gonna come. It is inspiring and gives you a feeling like we have a chance. And in 1963, that was an absolute necessity. Giving up seemed easier to do because the weight of what was actually going on was just too much to bear. But when you get down, you have to remember a better day a soon come. Other artists who I believe were truly so beneficial to the movement were James Brown and Marvin Gaye, kings of their genres. They made music, which created a lot of your parents, you or your siblings. <laughs> it's facts. James Brown was extremely raunchy with his music, wore tight one pieces with a cape and gyrated up and down the stage. This was the godfather of soul. Mr. I got the feeling and the big payback. But this man used his notoriety for good. His song, Don't Be a Dropout, encouraged young black students to focus on school and promote the importance of an education. In 1965, he was known to cancel shows if a black organization would ask him to perform for a benefit. And in 1968, he launched Operation Black Pride and donated 3,000 Christmas dinners to poor New York City neighborhood families. In 1968, he created the Black Power Anthem. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. Uh, eh. Okay. <laughs> but that's the shit, for real. Being proud of being black is so hard to do in a country that doesn't love you. So James Brown wanted to let the black community know that you should be proud of your skin, your culture, and your people. We don't need outside influences telling us that we are less than. We are an amazing people. James said he lost a lot of his crossover audience because of it, but he also said that he didn't care. And that's how it should be. When you have an economically privileged situation and you have an opportunity to help your community, you do so without question. This is why I'm so judgmental of the black elite now. James Brown's efforts, including buying up radio stations, is the part of the past that should be repeating itself. And back then, there was so much more to lose. 
As far as Marvin, he was known to create lover's music. Him and Tammy were out here talking about Ain't No Mountain High Enough and you're all I need to get by. You're all like sweet morning dew. I took one look at you and it was plain to see you were my destiny. Oh, yo, Marvin? Marvin, don't even get me started on Marvin because I'll be singing the rest of this whole episode, but let me just get it together and stay focused. But when Marvin's brother, Frankie, returned from the Vietnam War, he noticed that he wasn't the same and his outlook on life had changed. He knew something wasn't right. Motown kept pressuring him for new music, but whenever they did, he'd be like, uh, so y'all heard about that mass shooting at Kent State? Literally just talking to them about what was going on in the headlines because they had a complete disregard for it. Capitalism's capitalism. No matter how you spin it, no matter what the color, no matter anything, it just is what it is, right? How fucked up is that? I hate that shit. But anyway, they also didn't want to give Marvin the creative freedom that he was seeking. And he didn't want to be making the same old music. He wanted to be a voice of the people. In 1971, Marvin self-produced his album, What's Going On. The album was soul of a different kind. There was passion, but not like we're used to from Marvin. This album featured Mercy, Mercy Me, in which he spoke about the environmental destruction at the hands of humans. Oh, Mercy, Mercy Me. I'm not saying it this time. I'm giving y'all a break. Oh, things ain't what they used to be. No, no. Oil wasted on the oceans and upon our seas, fish full of mercury. Then you got Inner City Blues. This tune is about exactly what the title implies. The ghettos and inner cities in which the country basically forced the poverty stricken, which included many black people, by having us participate in a system that was set up for us to fail. It also goes into the Vietnam War and the police brutality that followed at the protest. Crime is increasing trigger happy policing panic is spreading god knows where we're heading again was he predicting the future or speaking about his present it's almost scary but then you got the title track what's going on as soon as the song starts you're flooded with emotions mother mother there's far too many of you crying. Uh. Brother, brother, brother. There's far too many of you dying. This is a reference to the Vietnam War and the stories Frankie told him when he returned. But for me, when I hear this, I think about the mothers of Brianna, Sandra, Atatiana, Trayvon, Philando, Michael, and the countless others we've lost. I also think about George calling out for his mother who had already passed before him. The song continues, you know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Cause war is not the answer. It never is. It's love. And you know my hippie ass is all about that shit. Love is so much easier to grasp, but hate is the backbone of this country from the time it was ripped from the indigenous people until now. This leads me to think about why music is so needed and comforting during times of trauma. 
In 2014, I wrote a blog post for a client based on the press release I read for the American Psychological Association in regards to stress. It said, at the time, 44% of people turn to music when stressed. I always think about that. Psych Central has an article about the power of music to reduce stress. For centuries, music has been used to harmonize the mind, body, and soul. Uses included meditation, lowering anxiety, and relieving bouts of depression. Personally, I also believe the vibration of the music, whether just listening or singing your heart out, can help with how you're feeling. Hence why this has been a civil rights karaoke session episode. It really does help release tension. Let me pause real quick. You, my friend, listening right now, relax your shoulders. You feel that? You see how much stress and tension we carry in our neck and shoulders? So I'm just recommending music, whatever, and just reminding yourself of that just to decrease the stress just a little bit. It's really whatever helps. Music is absolutely a stress reliever. Music provides comfort. It's the one element that I believe truly connects us all. As of late, I've had the urge to scream, cry, and feel loved. Lately, my normal rotation has been indie and classic R&B, jazz, alt-rock, groove metal, and punk. Something about the combination gives me what I'm looking for. My mood shifts constantly throughout the day due to the unpredictability of 2020. Legit, I put my playlist on shuffle, system of a down plays, then St. John, then a little Luther, then mannequin pussy, then jungle pussy to round it all off. That may seem like chaos to y'all, but it's so on brand with my emotions right now, it's not even funny. We are constantly balancing pain and mourning, but the music soothes. We are in another renaissance period in which artists are making music for the time. We are in the thick of another civil rights movement and what often feels like the verge of another civil war. As I work on this episode, Louisville just declared a state of emergency. They have canceled all day off and vacation requests by officers and have boarded up all the windows and doors of the federal buildings. They did this because Attorney General Uncle Tom Cameron is about to make an announcement in regards to the murder of Breonna Taylor. And the way that they're preparing, it seems as if justice is not on the way. They also paid out $12 million to her family, which leads me to the conclusion that they think that money will suffice. People are priceless. I'm scared because by the next episode, life may be completely different. But I'm grateful for Toby Nuigwe's I Need You To, which is a 43-second song demanding the cops who murdered Brianna in Kentucky and Elijah in Colorado be arrested. We're about to get into the songs of 2020's revolution during this week's top five, so I won't say too much more about the artists of today. Except, remember who was doing right by our people and not partnering with McDonald's to sell $90 chicken nugget pillows? Yeah, so when you're supporting music and concerts come back whenever, just remember who to support and who to give money to because these motherfuckers is crazy out here. Art really does imitate life, and most definitely when it comes to music. But I wonder if life imitates art. Maybe it doesn't work that way, 
But like I was saying before, it's like these artists were making predictions. Not because I believe they are psychic, but because they see what is destined to come if we don't change our ways. I want to leave you with lyrics from Kamau's 2016 Police. So it's police, but spelled P-O-H-L-E-S-E. Side note, Sade and I saw him perform live at Afropunk and had a moment. A sea of people united in solidarity with our fist up. I teared up. You could feel the energy, the hope, the desire for peace. This music video is also quite intense, but worth a watch at least once. The song's intro is, as a black person in America, when you see the police, say a little prayer to the shepherd who let wolves guard the sheep. It's sad, but true. Those lights, that uniform, instill fear, a sense of doom. You're thinking and doing everything possible to make sure you don't get shot. You pray you don't have to sneeze and make a sudden movement. And it really does feel like you got these bloodthirsty racist cops on the loose on these streets just murdering and attacking us. But the line that shakes me right to my core today is, are they going to have to kill somebody to get this revolution started? That's haunting because they did. George Floyd's murder sparked the revolution of 2020. We were done. But it still didn't stop them from murdering Richard Brooks, Daniel Prude, or paralyzing Jacob Blake. They only added gasoline to the fire. And for the life of me, I can't understand why our government prefers war over peace. This is a battle of human rights. I read a tweet a month ago, and I apologize, I don't have the username, but this is what it said. If the U.S. was any other country, the U.S. would invade the U.S. We're always running to some country's aid, allegedly, to liberate them from a fascist regime and fight against war crimes. But right here on American soil, you just letting us be ravaged. So what the fuck y'all really doing overseas? Because if this is any proof, you ain't doing shit but making shit worse. So... As much as I love our songs of freedom and protest, I'm just tired that the message from the 60s movement until now hasn't changed. Nonetheless, I'm grateful for the music of, the, of these artists who are really stepping up and using their platforms to donate money and spread a message of hope. In this case, there's no coded message messages, just a flat out sentiment. We will no longer be silent. No justice, no peace. And what I'm praying to be true, this time, is different. Here are my top five songs of the revolution of 2020. Number five, I Can't Breathe by Her. I already went off about my love for her on the very first episode of this show. As a huge R&B fan, I feel as if the genre has not really been holding up to that of the 80s and 90s. But her proves me wrong. During the revolution, her has been very vocal about the treatment of black people in this country and how it needs to change. On June 11th, she debuted her new song, I Can't Breathe, during her iHeartRadio Living Room Concert Series performance. Before she began, she had this to say. Just by the title, you know that it means something very, very kind of painful and very revealing. 
These lyrics were kind of easy to write because it came from a conversation with what's happening right now, what's been happening, and the change that we need to see. I think music is powerful when it comes to change and when it comes to healing. And that's why I wrote this song, to make a mark in history. And that right there tells me she believes that as much as art imitates life, life can imitate art. The video for I Can't Breathe is in black and white, which I believe makes a statement of its own in regards to change or the lack thereof. It features clips of the recent protests that have been happening throughout the country. I love the end of the first verse. If we all agree we're equal as people, then why can't we see what is evil? And that's it. You say you believe all men are created equal and that all lives really matter? Then what is the problem here? The chorus and how her voice is filled with the range of feelings shakes me. I can't breathe. You're taking my life from me. I can't breathe. Will anyone fight for me? The second verse goes in on America. Romanticizing the theft and bloodshed that made America the land of the free to take a black life, the land of the free. Where's the lie? She goes in on the popo who are supposed to serve and protect, but they kill us instead. She sings, saying the protector and the killer is wearing the same uniform. But it's this at the end for me. Don't say you don't see color. When you see us, see us. We can't breathe. Like, equality doesn't mean ignore differences. Embrace them. We can't breathe because we're dying. And we can't breathe because we're tired of screaming upon deaf ears. Number four, Light, Michael Kiwanuka. These British crooners, man, something about them, mm. I could listen to Michael and Sampha on the regular. Michael Kiwanuka has been around for a minute. Most people know Cold Little Heart from Big Little Lies. Emma, in this cold heart, I can live or I can die. But if you haven't really dived into his music, please listen to his album Love and Hate. Aside from Cold Little Heart and the title track, listen to Falling, Place I Belong, and I'll Never Love. And then check out his most recent album, Kimonuka, released in 2019. I've Been Dazed and Living in Denial are my two faves off that one. He was the second to last show I went to before quarantine. He was just incredible. Me and my homie Tori were just like, damn, the whole time. It was so good. On Juneteenth, Michael released Light. First off, the visuals were animated and depicted the times flawlessly. The song opens with finger picking on the guitar, which I love and it reminds me of the classics. It's very calming for me. This song is about finding a light in the darkness. How in this time we need to be optimistic and realize that we are on a path to somewhere we've never been. The chorus features what sounds like a youth choir and it goes, Shine your light on me. All of my fears are gone, baby, gone, gone. He's saying that in these trying times, some light, happiness, joy, love can erase our fears and be replaced with hope. Number three, lockdown, Anderson Pock. Anderson Pock is my boo for life. Malibu is hands down in my top 10 favorite albums of all time. Shit, it may even be in my top five. 
Come Down, The Bird, and Lightweights. Mm, those are my number ones off that album. But the Anderson record that really does it for me every time is like this off his project Yes Laud with No Worries. It's a good one for quality time with your boo or yourself. You feel me? <laughs> but Pac has always spoken about being a black man in a country that puts the black man down. His music has let us know his, frustra his frustrations and dreams. On June 3rd of this year, he actually started hitting the streets during the protests in Cali. He is truly a man who practices what he preaches. Juneteenth was a great day for music because Anderson also dropped his latest lockdown on that day. Another song that you need to watch the video. It's so real. And my favorite Sid from the internet pops up. But in the opening scene, you see Anderson with his homies after a protest grabbing food. On his head, you notice a welt from a rubber bullet. They open fire. Then bullets was flying. Who said it was a lockdown? Goddamn lie. Oh my. And it's true. We're in the middle of a pandemic, supposed to be locked down. But now we got to be out here because clearly not even a highly contagious virus will stop y'all from killing us. Then the first verse opens up perfectly. They say time heals all, but you out of time now. Yes, time is up, motherfuckers. We ain't playing no more. Like he says later in the song, ooh, this ain't 92, so we into new rules, referencing the LA riots. How much more you want to take from us? How many times we got to tell you we ain't the ones? The song is the perfect expression of 2020. The tale of two pandemics, COVID and racism. How are we supposed to handle both? Number two, Turntables by Janelle Monae. As I said earlier in the show, Janelle recently released a new track called Turntables for the documentary All In, The Fight for Democracy. This song does actually give me Anderson Pock and James Brown feels. Very soulful. The beat is hard. It's an anthem. It is power. You are ready for whatever comes your way. Janelle is rhyming and singing, which I just love. She really showed how rounded she was on Dirty Computer. I have always enjoyed Janelle Monet's music, but after that album, I was like, oh, hell yeah. She tapped into something new and grand. Go listen to Django Jane ASAP. The song Turntables is letting America know that we ain't doing this shit no more. We all see you. We're done. We had enough. In the first verse, Janelle says, I'm kicking out the old regime. Liberation, elevation, education. America. You a lie, but the whole world about to testify. I said the whole world about to testify and the table's about to, and the table's about to, and the table's about to turn. Okay, I am not Janelle. Woo, let me, let me not. Um, But the tables are turning. We are making changes happen. And she said, we getting our hands dirty and keeping our minds clean. We're on some next level shit now. Number one, make it home. Toby Nuigwe. Toby, 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 where do I begin? This man and his wife, Ivory, aka Fat, are my actual life and family goals. They hyped the fuck out of each other, made a perfect little human, wear matching outfits, and sit around with their friends jamming out in their home. Sign me the fuck up. The importance of family is not just at the core of his values, but also his brand. He is a rapper that found a way to perfectly embody a lyricist of serious skill 
while being an admirable husband and father. His music is about uplifting our people always, nothing performative or phony. My homie Joss constantly posted this man for years, and it wasn't until last year I actually sat down and listened to his music. Not disappointed. Check out any of Toby's Originals albums. I also enjoy Juice with him and Paul Wall. That one gets me hyped. And he just released a pandemic project. He will actually be doing a live virtual show on September 27th, which sorry, y'all are probably hearing this after the performance. Oops. A song off that project is Make It Home. It is on another plane. The context is simple. We just want to survive. Bare minimum. Let us make, a, make it home. He says, because the world can be toxic, especially when your skin looks like chocolate. At one point, they sold us for profit, but we made it out the gauntlet. We chosen. That's the thing. We get beat down, but we have to think about our ancestors, what they went through and what they survived. We are a product of their triumphs. We have to remember we are worth everything. The part of the song that takes me down is, yeah, please don't make me no hashtag or slogan. I hate that. Our lives become reduced to a name behind a damn number sign. Yeah, I know it's a hashtag now, but it's a number sign here because there are fucking countless at this point. The chorus on this tune is just so gentle. I pray you catch a wave that doesn't subside. The message is to uplift each other. May you succeed in the face of adversity. Black joy is necessary. To listen to these tracks, please visit lanmaster.com slash top five. On this page, you can also leave me a comment with your top five songs of the 2020 revolution. And visit LA Unmastered on Spotify for the top five playlist. Thank you so much for listening to the fifth episode of LA Unmastered. Your support is everything to me. Please be sure to follow me on IG and Twitter at LA Unmastered and visit my website at launmastered.com. And don't forget, I'm now available on Apple Podcasts. Hey, hey. As always, shout out to Zachary Mezzo for composing the LA Unmastered theme song and being the most patient show editor in the whole entire world. Check out his music at soundcloud.com slash Zachary dash Mezzo. There's truly no better sentiment I could leave you with other than this quote from Asada Shakur. A part of it was used in Antebellum, but I'd like to share it in its entirety. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. May your day be filled with peace, love, and music, and remember to stay doing it.